1: but I want you to understand life is not about the positions you hold or the platforms you have or the possessions you attain or the applause you gain. Life is about the passion you possess and the tangible difference those passions make in your life. Did you hear about what took place at the Metropolitan Museum of Art? And maybe you heard about the statue of Rihanna. Let me see your hands if you even know who Rihanna is. You need to get a little more engaged. She's a pop musician. Well, it seems like a lot of people are showing up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art to see this statue of this pop singer, Rihanna. But there's a problem it doesn't exist. You see, Vogue Magazine decided back when they were having the Met Gala a, a while back to post on social media this thing about this marble statue of Rihanna just to get people's interest. And now people are showing up, knocking on the doors of the museum, wanting to see this statue, and it doesn't exist. I came across my Twitter feed earlier in the week, and time I read that I, I thought, Wow, I, I kind of fear that that may be a, a problem that that may be taking place in the church. That people are knocking on our doors, are coming into places and spaces like this. They're encountering us, and they're expecting to find something. And yet that's not what they're seeing. Because we're not really there in that way. They're expecting us to be different from the world. They're expecting us to be change agents in the world. But that's not what they're finding. They find all kinds of things. Big personalities and highly developed programs. And certainly they'll find political hot takes at a lot of churches. They'll find crisp presentations. But they don't find what they're looking for. They don't find a group that's gathered living out the greatest commands of God. And that's why this message is so important as we continue in our summer of love. It takes us back to the basics of who we are supposed to be as Christ followers, what we are supposed to do as those who say that we fear God and honor his commands in our lives. In short, you could say it teaches us how to live in such a way that we can give people what they're looking for, from Christians. So I want to guide you to Luke chapter 10. Take your copy of God's Word, and I always want to remind you you need that in this place of worship because it's important that you test and see that what I'm saying is true. I'm not making this up, it's the Word of God. So whether it's a Bible or whether you have an app on your device, Follow along with me, Luke chapter 10, and this has become one of my favorite verses in scripture because it it begins with a bang. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 begins this way, it says, uh, he, that's Jesus, told them, that's his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus was telling those who were following him, hey, there are others who need to follow me. There are others who need to know about me, but there are not enough people who are telling them and are going and are making a difference. And so years ago, your staff at this church, we begin to gather every morning. The office is open at 1002, and we pray this prayer in obedience to the command of Jesus. We pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Here, here's how it sounds. Usually we begin by saying, God, would you send laborers from us? And I remember years ago praying, God, would you start in my family? Would you call some of my children to serve you with their lives? And Now I, I stand and I'm, I'm seeing the fruition, the fruitfulness of those prayers. We, we prayed, God, would you send people from us, teenagers, and would you raise up children who fill that call, and would you send senior adults to go? And then we would pray, God, would you send people to us to help us work in the harvest field? And I can't tell you how excited it makes me to be able to, t- to say to you that even during COVID, God sent us new people in our church family that came in ready and equipped to work and, and are now some of our greatest servants in the church. And we'll pray things like, God, would you send people to help resource your vision? Because in this world, it does take finances to do things. And God has answered that prayer. And then sometimes we pray for specific people by names who are in that harvest field. Names like the one coming to your mind right now. A friend, a family member, a co-worker, a classmate. And so before we do anything else, I know we just prayed. But how could I tell you that and not pause to pray in obedience to the command of Jesus? So let's let's pray again. Father, Father. In the name of Jesus, we've come and and we've already sought your face. We've already cried out for this time together, but now we're just crying out in obedience to the Lord of the harvest. Send laborers. Let it begin with us. Help us to know when to go, and then, Lord, send others to help us. Lord, would you build your church by sending others to work in this harvest field? And, Lord, would you change the neighborhoods around all of our campuses? Lord, would you reach Tampa for your name's sake. And then let it spread into the world. Um, God we thank you for this. and We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen amen all right so that's the beginning of chapter 10 well at the end of chapter 10 we have another one of my favorite stories it's the story of mary and martha you remember how that story goes mary and martha are are there in their house jesus comes to visit one's busy one's just hanging out at jesus feet and the one who's busy gets kind of mad and and says did and jesus says hey it'll be okay and then he says look you're busy doing good things but she has done what the better things. And so at the end of chapter 10, God's word tells us how to do the best things in life. And just for the record, you know what that was? Just hanging out at the feet of Jesus. Just spending time with Jesus. So you see, I could go off on that, but that's not what we're focusing on. Because nestled in between the beginning of chapter 10 and the end of chapter 10 is the great commandment of God spoken by Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, the most familiar story in all the Bible. It's called The Good See, you already know it, The Good Samaritan. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible Because of the generosity of listeners like you, we are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now, we continue with our message. So let's take our copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And I read that and I instantly thought, man, how often am I guilty of that? Just putting God to the test. God, if you love me, if if you're really there, if you know what I'm going through maybe you're like that too sometimes we find ourselves when we act like we're a lawyer before god and we're testing him he stood up to test jesus and he said teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and and i hear that and i think that's the question everybody wants to know and we we read stories about it there's fiction that's been written about it there are movies that have been made about it how do you live forever And yeah, that's not really a question we should ask, because if the Bible's true, everybody lives forever somewhere. So the question should not be, how do I live forever? But how do I live fulfilled? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you life that's abundant, that's overflowing, that's fulfilling. So Jesus then responds, well, lawyer, what's written in the law? (laughs) that makes sense he's asking a lawyer a question about the law who would just ask him a question about the law and he replied how do you read it The man answered verse 27 love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself A few weeks ago, we learned that he's describing what's called the Shema. You find that in in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and that command that uh, really every Jewish person understood. Uh, They were taught that when you do this, you live long. When you love right, it changes things. And they were even taught how to learn that, right? Because they said, put it on your forearms, put it on your forehead, put it on your doorpost so that everywhere you look, you're focused and fixated on this love of God. So that's how we answered. And Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like you need to justify yourself? You know, I blew it, but you didn't know what I was going through. Yeah, always looking for loopholes it's the lowest acceptable standard. It's kind of like a child where the parent draws a line and they're just going up to the edge, just seeing, seeing if they can step over. He said, ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Having been in that region several times, let me just tell you, that's the only way to go from Jerusalem to Jericho is down Jerusalem's up on a hill. Jericho is down low. Uh, and in fact, it's right at the Sea of De- uh, uh, the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is below sea level. So to go from Jerusalem to, to Jericho, it's about a 17 mile journey, and it's downhill. But that's not all. Historians tell us that it's this part of the road that Jesus would have been referring to in that model prayer when he talks about death. It's what the psalmist would have been referring to in Psalm 23 when he speaks of the valley of the shadow of death. This narrow place that's filled with robbers and murderers. So he was going down, and he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest. Now, here's a familiar sight, a religious person. They're going to get this right. I don't know what story you're telling Jesus, but this is going to be the hero. A priest, the most religious, most like God, right? Because people expect things of us. They, they come expecting to see something when they see us. Well, he happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, by the way, that's just another religious leader. He was an assistant to the priest, associate pastor, if you will. And he came to the place and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. Then Jesus says these words, but a Samaritan. Now that's significant because Jesus would have been talking to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish people were not fond of the Samaritans. Why? Let me just give you two of the reasons. One, they were different. And two, they despised them. They didn't like them. They didn't like them as a race of people. They didn't understand their culture, their religions, their background. So it's significant that Jesus... Says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put him on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and took care of him, and then the next day, he, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, "Look after him." And he said. And when I return, I will reimburse reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Then Jesus said, so, which of these three men, priest, Levite, Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And again, the expert in the law didn't hesitate. He replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Now, I just want to give you a quick takeaway and then unpack these verses maybe in a different way than you've heard them before. Here's the takeaway. Who we are determines how we see the world. And ultimately, how we see the world determines what we do for God. See, the lawyer asked this question, who is my neighbor? But through his story, Jesus tells us that he was really asking the lawyer, who are you? And that's what God wants to know of us gathered together on what we call the Lord's day. Who are you? Are you really that person that you represent to be? Are you really a follower of Christ? Are you really one who fears God and seeks to honor his commands? But again, we're jumping ahead because Jesus In his reply is acknowledging that both of these commands are great in the eyes of God. First, love the Lord your God with all that you are. Are you doing that? Does God have your all? Because you'll never serve others the way he's going to tell us to serve others until you first serve and love him the way he tells us to serve him. But the lawyer does get the second part too. He quotes from Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus instantly replies, you've answered correctly. Bingo, you got it. Good job. And, And it's in this moment that we learn really what is most important to every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. It's simple. We can even sum it up in fewer words. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. Let's say those together. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. One more time. Love God passionately and love others intentionally. That's what we're supposed to do. In fact, Jesus has asked this question in Matthew's gospel. We have the same account. And in Matthew 22 and verse 40, Jesus says, on these two, on these two commands rest the entire law and the prophets. In other words, everything else that you have in the Old Testament, everything else hinges on whether or not you obey these laws. Think about that. That's significant. They're interconnected. If you truly love God, you will tangibly love people. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Raise your hand if you've ever had a cold. That should be all of us. All right. How do you know? Well, <laughs> trick question. You, you know because you had symptoms, right? You were sneezing, sniffling, coughing, aching, had fever. You needed some so-you-can-rest medicine. You had a cold. When, when you sneezed, you? When you sneeze, what's coming out? Well, don't describe it, but what's inside of you is coming out. That virus is coming out. So what Jesus is saying is if the love of God is in you, you're going to sneeze out love of others. If the love of God is not in you, you're going to be selfish and focused on you, and you're not going to care about others. But if the true love of God is in you, when you sneeze out life, they are going to be tangible expressions of the love of others. John Piper puts it this way. Loving others is the outward manifestation. The visible expression. The practical demonstration of the love of God. And therefore is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament is all about. You can't truly love God. Without living a life focused on loving others. So. The lawyer said, love God, love others. And Jesus said, right on. You got it. So don't miss this. (laughs) He got the right answer. And, And when I think about that, you know what hits me? A lot of us who hang out in this kind of space and place, we know the right answer. We know what it should be. Matter of fact, even those who don't know God know what it should be. That's why they come to us expecting to find something different. But it's not simply the truth you know that makes a difference, is it? It's the truth you obey. And Jesus knew that in the case of this lawyer. What did the lawyer do next? <laughs> He just tried to lower the bar. He tried to limit the love that he had to show. As I said a moment ago, we're always looking for loopholes, aren't we? Why? Why why are we looking for loopholes? It's easy. We're all sinners. We all fall short. And at the nature of, at the heart of the nature of sin is this desire to put self first, to make it all about me. That, by the way, is why it should not surprise us that a movement that is known for celebrating lifestyles that God says are not his will nor his way, it shouldn't surprise us that that's known as the pride movement. Because pride is at the core of all of our sinful choices, of all that we do wrong. These commands get to the root of all sinfulness, our selfish longing to meet our own needs and our own desires above anything else. Because the height of sin is the pursuit of self at the exclusion of God and others. And so what do we do? When confronted with this, we make excuses. Now don't raise your hand this time, but I want you to think about times you've done that. Maybe where you've read God's word, or you've been in a service like this, or, or you've been in a teaching moment, maybe in a small group, and it's been clear to you, you've felt the conviction of God that there should be an action, there should be something that you need to do, and yet you've come up for it with a reason why you're not going to do it. I can't afford to right now, or I don't have the time to right now, or I don't think I have the ability to do that. Uh, I just want to point something out to you. When you set your mind on not doing something, any excuse will do. But when you set your mind on doing something, nothing will get in your way. And that's true in your daily life. You do the things you want to do. You spend your time, your efforts, your resources, your energy on those things you desire. So, Jesus knew this too. And so, he illustrates this story. Let me see if I can illustrate it in a modern day way that you'll understand. There's this U.S. Army vet. He served the country, but he's fallen on tough times. And he's traveling down from New York to Miami, but somehow he ends up sidelined in Tampa. You've seen him, he's under the bridge. He's at the intersection you passed. He's got that sign. Anything will help. You passed him by. But it wasn't just you. Because this is Tampa. There's a lot of churches in Tampa. And and I just need you to know, one of the well-known large church pastors just passed right by. He saw him. But he didn't stop. But that's okay. There are a lot of those Christ followers in Tampa. And so it wasn't just that. There are other well-known Christians in Tampa. There are people who have written Christian books. There are Christian singers. There, There are some people that have written Christian Bible studies that when you gather together in church, we study their words. One of them drove by. But she didn't stop. And then on that busy highway in that dangerous part of Tampa, in one moment, a Muslim immigrant was driving by. He saw that person, and he saw that he was a U.S. vet. He pulled over. He said, hey, buddy, come in. I want to help you. And the first thing he did is he drove him over to Mission Barbecue, I and that place honors vets, and they got good food. So he loaded him up on some pulled pork and some collard greens and all kind of cornbread. I mean, it was a great moment. And then after he got his tummy full, he said, Target's right next door. So he went into Target. He said, hey, the bathroom's right here on the left. You go in there. You get cleaned up. I'm going to go get you some clothes. What size do you wear? He went and he paid for those clothes and he took them to the men's room and that guy changed and he came out looking like a different man.
2: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement